0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, please. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Brother Rand, do you have anything prepared? Where did he go? No, okay. All right. Galatians chapter 6. Haven't these been great days? What well, God's doing it good news. I'll tell you in all my years of ministry, maybe Pastor Coles, you've experienced this. Uh, never in one service have I had the privilege of seeing nine people baptized. Uh, maybe you have. I don't remember a time wherever uh, I got to see that. But that's that's what God did this morning. And uh, it, it was so exciting. Uh We've had friend day, other special days, a week of meetings, and God just continues to draw souls to himself. And uh, I hope you don't get used to it, right? We ought to rejoice and keep asking God for more. But any time that God is doing a work, Satan is not going to stand by and just let it happen. Uh, There are times where there's rejoicing and great things are going on, and then there can be things that happen that are discouraging. I'll never forget my senior year of high school. Uh, Our team was undefeated in the state of Illinois in soccer, believe it or not. Uh, This old guy played played four years of high school soccer and then four years of college soccer. Uh, Loved the sport. That was a different time, different body, all right? But... um, I'll never forget one of the games later in my, the season, my senior year. We were undefeated at that point. Everything was going well. And then during the game, I watched as my brother and my cousin, same team, went up to head a soccer ball. But they didn't see each other. And as the ball was coming down, my brother buried his head, his face, in the back of my cousin's head. And for my brother, the lights went out. What ended up happening is he fractured his nose, went down. I ran over there, and I could immediately tell. I thought the kid was ugly anyway, but this, this was a, no, don't, he, he's, anyway. But we Ashers have these big beaks that stick out. I've broken mine a few times, and I'll just say it this way. He didn't have a nose. They had to call an ambulance. They had to rush him into surgery, get a picture of him so that the surgeon knew how to put it all back. We finished the game. We won the game. But I'll tell you that 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 changed the atmosphere. Uh, What went from cheering and excitement, everything changed. And it is good for us to be reminded that there are times that as we minister for the Lord, we're going to be reminded that we're in a battle. It's a fight. It's warfare. The victory's been won, but it, it still is warfare. Until Jesus uh, comes back, sets up his earthly kingdom, and uh, and reigns in Jerusalem. But the whole picture of what I used about a broken bone is what we see in Galatians chapter 6. Would you look at verse 1? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Tempted. That idea of someone being overtaken in a fault, the wording there means to set a broken bone. As parents, we learn to recognize the cry of our children. All right? Renee and I used to laugh about this. We'd have company over, and we'd hear crying come from the other room. And sometimes we just didn't do much because the crying was. you took my toy, give it back, okay? Or, I'm not happy about things right now. And, of course, we didn't just let it go. We'd go and deal with it. There were other times that the cry from the other room said, I need a trauma center. <laughs> and there was, there was a quicker response. Well, you know that as, as parents. Child walks in, scrape knee, and you respond, okay, okay, it's going to be okay, and, and you take care of that. It's another thing when they come in and you can see that a bro- a bone has been broken that requires immediate action. Well that's the whole tone that is set here by Paul to the uh, to the Galatians if a brother has a broken bone spiritually get to it. You that are spiritual, you the that are spiritually minded, the Holy Spirit is in control of your heart and mind, you go to such a one Uh, If you're not spirit-controlled, you're going to be a liability if you try to deal with that. But you that are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of meekness uh, to help them. Uh, But be careful, you're capable of the same thing, so go in a spirit of meekness, lest you also be, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. I'm going to ask you to go from there over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As we read the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that God had done a miraculous work in that city. A year ago, some of us were able to travel to Greece and Turkey. We, we were in Corinth. We got to stand uh, before the bima, the judgment seat. Uh, We were reminded of the wickedness of that city, and out of that city, God grew a strong, healthy church. But instead of keeping their eyes on Jesus, they put their eyes on other things, and then Paul had to write some corrective things uh, to them. Uh, Back in 2017, I preached a series out of this book entitled, From Messy to Mature. I stated at that time that I believed Paul's letters to the Corinthians were, were God's church fix-it manual in the Bible. All right, if it was broken, if it needed help, um, obviously the other letters are important too. But Paul wades right into those problems and gives them solid uh, biblical answers. Tonight we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want us to consider again one of the most important exercises of the church in keeping us pure, to help us grow. Uh, We all know that the Lord promises to prune us, to work on us, to make us more into the image of Christ. But there is also, from time to time, action that the church needs to take to make sure that our assembly is pleasing to the Lord. If you know your Bible, you know that this is the passage that deals with church discipline. Now this would have been new instruction for these believers in Corinth, but it was not new to what Jesus taught his disciples. You'll remember that back in Matthew 18, Jesus taught the disciples, if there's aught with a brother, you go alone. If they won't hear you, take two or three. If they won't hear them, then take it to the church. And so the apostles understood that. Those who had heard the Lord's teachings, they knew that. Uh, But now it's time to apply that and expand on it to these Gentile churches. In In 1 Corinthians 5, the first two verses... We're told about the impurity of the church in Corinth. And it's amazing that even in churches that have been uh, have had a good foundation, remember, this church was started by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he stayed there. He discipled these folks. Uh, there should be no question about the foundation that they received. And yet, Paul leaves, uh, Ananias and Sapphira they stayed and they continued to work there longer, but then they go and now uh, there's a problem, a very significant problem. We read about it in verse one. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. All right. So Corinth was a very wicked place, but the sin in the church was even worse than what they were doing in Corinth. It's a reminder that when we get saved, we get a new nature. The old nature gets put to death, but you don't get new flesh. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. What the world is capable of doing, we are capable of doing because we still have the same flesh. New nature, but, and we can have a renewed mind, but we need to walk circumspectly. We need to walk humbly to stay right with God, yielded to the Spirit of God. So that was the problem. But there was another problem, besides the sin individually that was going on in that one home. Notice how the folks in Corinth were responded: ye are puffed up, it's a reference to pride, and if not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Paul's going to, again, elaborate. He's going to share detail about how that should happen. Uh, But the point is, sin is infectious. No one sins in a vacuum. You don't sin in a vacuum. I don't. If I let sin go in my life, it is going to infect, affect others. Okay? And so they should have been mourning. This is going to hurt us, our testimony. Of course, it hurts Christ. Uh, But instead, they were puffed up. Uh, They thought we're spiritual enough to be able to handle this. And no church ever wants to be in that kind of a situation. So the church knew about it. They were proud. They felt they could handle it. They were letting it go. Now in verse 4, the Apostle Paul begins to instruct them specifically on how to deal with with the impurity drop down to verse 4 in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus your glorying it's a reference back to their their boasting that we saw earlier being puffed up your glorying is not good "'Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump?' So what's the answer? "'Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with a leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth.'" Again, a reference to, first, Christ died to deliver us from this stuff. The table of the Lord, there's references to the bread, okay, and and, uh, again, the cup. Uh, Christ's sacrifice, that's a reminder to us of what he did for us, and now he owns us, and through him, we can be right as well. So it's essential here, going back to verse 4, that we have the right spirit when it comes to handling problems, including church discipline. And back in that series, we took time to evaluate what that right spirit looks like. So I want to just remind us from the text. First of all, Paul uses the phrase, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand that the authority for churches taking action to stay pure Church discipline, that it comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from the pastor, it comes from the Lord. But it's a responsibility that all the church has. If sin comes to light, if you find out that someone, a brother or sister in Christ, has given themselves to sin, do you know? It's your responsibility to take care of that. How do I do it? I go alone. Matthew 18. Understanding that God allowed me to learn that. Not so I could go and tell others what I learned. But I am to go to them alone, seeking to have them get right with the Lord and restore a brother. That's our responsibility. Would you hold your place here and go to 1 Timothy chapter 5? And that is not the reference that I needed tonight. Ah, oh, I had the wrong reference. Paul will write to Timothy, and here's what he'll here's what say. If, let, let the church know, if someone falls into sin and one convert him, somebody's going to help me with the address here in a moment. One convert, it means to change their direction. Let him know that he that converts a sinner from the, uh, uh, the, the a sinner from the error of his way, and he's speaking to brethren, will save a soul and stop the sin. All right. Now it's not talking about eternal salvation; it's talking about the fact that sin always leads to death. And so, if you're made aware of that, what is it? James five. All right. All right. Thank you. So you can you can see it there in James five. Thank you for your help with that. So James is writing here. I thought it was Paul, brethren. If you the air. Uh, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Again, verse 19, brethren. So that's what we're called to do. And if that isn't sufficient, we take two or three and if that isn't sufficient then we take it to the church why because someone who continues in sin that is very very serious so the authority comes from Christ then next notice that unity is affected And we need to be unified in dealing with these things. When ye are gathered together in my spirit. In other words, when the church comes together to address a church discipline problem, there should be unity. It's the idea of cooperation. I'm back in 1 Corinthians 5. Then finally, a right spirit for church discipline acknowledges that the church needs the power of God. We need the power of God. His enablement, verse 4, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. This is power far beyond our own abilities. Uh, We need God's power to follow through with what is needed. So we see Paul's instructions about having a right spirit. And I just wanted to review that with you tonight. When church discipline is necessary, we need to have the right heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love, long-suffering. We need to be willing to go to those who, who need our help and handle it in a way that would please the Lord. But then there are also, within this text, right steps. And I want to review those tonight as well. We know from verse 1 that Paul, working with others, had already gathered the needed information. Here's his first step. Gather the facts and then confront. Gather the facts and then confront. Paul had done that. Now there's a fine line, it's an important line, between gossip and sharing information. What's that line? If someone is part of the solution to the problem, then we share. Now, they're only part of the solution, again, if we're following the Scriptures. But if I'm aware, maybe someone else is aware, the Bible tells us we need to make sure that we have the facts right, and then we go to someone. Proverbs reminds us, he that answers a matter before he hears it, it's going to be folly and shame unto him. If I don't have the facts, and I try to deal with a problem, uh, that's That's not going to be helpful. So Paul says it's reported commonly. That's the present passive. The news is continuing to spread on its own in the church, in the community, that this is going on. The sin was common knowledge in this case. Sin becomes public to the church and or to the community. It needs to be investigated, confronted according to the scriptures, places like Matthew 18. And by the way, Matthew 18, 16 tells us, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. When Jesus said that, he was quoting from the law of Moses. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. Uh, No one person can bring a charge against another person. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, it has to be established. Uh, Our system of jurisprudence in this country even is based on that. If someone sees something... Uh, and there's enough evidence, the authorities may arrest that person, but when it goes to trial, it's never one person's word against another's. Uh, we all know what a jury is, okay? A jury of their peers, and the facts are presented. And, and that's similar to what would happen in Old Testament Israel when the elders of a city uh, were called uh, together. But it has to be validated in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Again, the goal is church purity and the restoration of an offending brother or sister for the glory of God. Now, if the sin is not common knowledge, but concealed knowledge, Matthew 18 is also followed. Right, Those steps take two or three and then take it to the church. One of the hidden blessings of pastoral ministry that you never get to see... I am committed to these texts, places like Galatians 6, Matthew 18. Say, Pastor, why are you committed to those texts? 1 Corinthians 5. Because I have seen that when God's word is practiced, guess what? It hardly ever gets to church discipline. Very seldom does that happen. Instead, folks come to repentance, lives are restored. Here's what else happens. Uh, God strengthens his church relationships grow stronger Uh, it's a blessing to be able to see that now what happens if after that love and those efforts to restore them to Christ uh, have them make this right with the Lord if that doesn't happen what should happen next after you gather the facts and confront secondly then it goes to the church now, what is one of the primary functions of it going to the church? Look at verse four again. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, what does that mean to deliver someone over to Satan? We know that we are no match for the angelic realm. We certainly are no match for the archenemy of the cross and our God, Satan. Okay, So what is the Lord saying here? Well, listen carefully because there will be Christians who have no idea what this is talking about. Paul has already said in verse 2 that this person should be taken away from among you. But in the name and power of Jesus, something else important needs to happen. Deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So here's an example of what Matthew 18, 18 and 19 is referring to when it says what is bound on earth is bound in heaven and agreed to among God's people. That becomes heaven's design according to what the scripture is teaching. So if someone is unrepentant of a sin, and God's people, the church, agree that they're unrepentant, then we agree together that discipline is needed, delivering someone over to Satan. Now, we don't do that. God hears our prayer. He delivers them over. And what he's doing is removing his protection so that what has been giving them trouble all along, they've let their flesh be in control. God gives them over to Satan for the destruction of that thing which is holding them in rebellion. I don't think we as believers take seriously enough our flesh. There are three enemies, the world, The devil, and what's the third one? The flesh. They all work together, by the way. They work together to accuse us. They work together to distract and tempt us. And the Lord tells us, don't make any provision for your flesh to obey it in the lust thereof. Don't do it. And so there are times that the flesh becomes so strong that God needs to remove his protection So that Satan can have his way. Now what does that look like? Uh, We also study together. Remember the book of Job. What happened to Job when the Lord removed his protection? Not good. Satan was intent on killing him. Now let me ask you a question. Did the Lord ever really fully remove his protection of Job? Yes or no? No he didn't. All right? Now God says that when we get saved, we're placed in His hand, and no man is able to pluck us out of our Father's hand. But He is willing to remove some protections and let the enemy have his way, since someone was convinced they wanted to serve the enemy anyway. No, no you don't. And the Lord's uh, able to convince them of that. So we ask God to deliver them over to Satan where they must live in his domain without God's protection so that their flesh, the source of the problem, is broken. G. Campbell Morgan said this, Hand him over to the dominion of Satan, to whose rule and authority he has bowed the neck in the act of his sin. Yield him, surrender him, cut him off from the fellowship, and so exclude him, or her, from the protection of the church, from the sense of security that comes to him, and the opinion that is held by the world that the church can tolerate these things, end quote. Christ doesn't tolerate it. The church shouldn't tolerate it. And so it's very important that we take the necessary action to please our Lord and to help, and this is all about helping, to help our wayward brethren. So by the direct course of sin... James 1.14, we're drawn away of our own lusts, our passions, and enticed. We know that lust leads to sin and sin death, and we don't want that to happen. But when someone is willing to, uh, without reservation, continue in their sin, then we take this step according to Scripture so that God turns them over and his enemy becomes his assistant in convincing them the sin isn't worth it. Now, someone might still be thinking, uh, why are these measures needed? Well, again, the flesh is very strong. Second, although many Christians aren't being serious about the day of the Lord Jesus, Jesus is. He is preparing you to meet him. He's preparing me to meet him. If I'm tolerating sin... That's getting in the way of what he is trying to do. And by the way, his return is soon. Third, the whole church can be contaminated by sin that is not dealt with. Again, look at verse 6. A little leaven leaveneth how much of the lump? The whole lump. That that does not uh, have any limits as far as age. Who's affected? The entire church can be hurt. When one unconfessed sin is not dealt with, it won't be long until all unconfessed sin is not taken seriously and, uh, and churches uh, have, have felt uh, the, the blast of not being willing to be obedient to God and the repercussions of sin. So here's a third step. Once church discipline has taken place, The scripture tells us to deny fellowship to the unrepentant believer. We already saw in the text, Paul says, put them out. Look down at verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. Out in the world, those folks are everywhere. They don't know Christ. Uh, they're, They're seeking to satisfy themselves with sin. You expect that from people who are still spiritually blind. All right. So you can't leave the world, but when it comes to the church, things are different. Verse 11, but now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called what? a brother or a sister in Christ, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, no not to eat. Don't eat with them. The whole idea is don't fellowship with them. Now why? This doesn't mean we shouldn't admonish them. But we don't want to do anything that causes them to think that their continuing in sin is okay. That somehow we we understand and, well, it's it's okay. No, it's not okay. No, it's not okay. By the way, we're being asked to do what our Father in Heaven does. If we regard iniquity in our heart, does God fellowship with us? He won't even hear our prayers. Okay? So... When I practice this, I am being like God. I am pleasing Him. And by the way, this is what He has said. Let me give you another text. 2 Thessalonians 3.14. 2 Thessalonians 3.14. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, mark him is the idea, and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Verse 15 Yet count him not as an enemy. We shouldn't be hateful, spiteful. Don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So we don't fellowship, but when we see him, we respond like the Lord Jesus. Hey, I I love you. I'm praying for you. Have you gotten that right with the Lord yet? Well, no, I don't know. You need to get right with What are you waiting for? You know what the scripture says. You know this is hurtful. Uh, I care about you. Would you get that right? I, I would like to have fellowship restored with you. But more importantly, you need to be restored to fellowship with God. That should be our heart. That should be our attitude. So the motivation of the church in discipline is the restoration of an erring brother for the glory of God for fellowship to be restored and so that we can be restored to fellowship with them also. Let me conclude with this. God puts a high premium on purity and unity in his church. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No. I'm so thankful that we are part of an assembly of believers here where People are serious about the things of the Lord. How do I know that? Well, we just came through revival meetings. Many of you, most of you were here every night. The attendance was wonderful. Uh, I hear about your witnessing efforts. I hear about you spending time in God's Word. I saw your response as the evangelist challenged us with prayer this past week. And, uh, and when we left, uh, a lot of us had sore toes. And, and you, you came back the next night for more sore toes. Okay? I, I like what Brother Taylor says. It hurts so good. Okay? <laughs> All right? Uh, that's the kind of church that God has given us here. Uh, we're not a perfect church, but we have a heart for the Lord. But if you are in a church like this and you tolerate sin... It's going to be uncomfortable here, and it needs to be for you. So Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is the work of the Spirit in our midst, the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And all of this takes into account purity. I quoted from Ephesians 4, 3, drop down to verse 13, and it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or complete man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Question, when Jesus was walking this earth in his earthly ministry, did sin ever come into his presence where he didn't confront it? Yes or no? You had to think about that. When Jesus walked on this earth, if sin ever came into his presence, did he confront it, yes or no? Every time. Now, how he confronted it is instructive. He would seek to draw people to himself. His goal was for them to be be right and and to be right with him. He wanted to forgive them, and most often when he confronted, those people left with their sins forgiven. I think Jesus, one of the favorite things he liked to say to people after he had helped them with their hearts, done the work in their hearts, is to say, you're forgiven, now go and sin no more. So our sanctification is directly linked to our purity and to our unity. Which is also why, in Proverbs chapter 6, when the Lord lists things that he hates, he lists this. Verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. There's nothing sweeter than being in an assembly of believers where people are fellowshipping with God and through that fellowship with each other. The care in this church, brethren for brethren, it's exceptional. We serve together. And when there is difficulty we solve those problems biblically. I've witnessed that now for 10 years. Pastor Cole's witnessed it a whole lot longer. But that's what needs to continue. And if it is not happening, uh, it's going to be revealed and it's going to become obvious. And so my challenge to us in these days as we look ahead is to make sure that we are right with the Lord and that we're fellowshipping with Him. And then if we see anyone else who is not in fellowship with him, don't look the other way. If you see that, if God allows you to become aware of that, then follow the biblical responsibility you have to come alongside and help. Let the Holy Spirit of God help you with that. Uh, so that lives can continue to stay right and in fellowship with the Lord. And together, we can move on, as the scripture has reminded us tonight, until we're all complete and in the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org, or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.